I wasn't convinced that we understood a problem that we wanted to solve yet. So, so anyway, I loved the technology. I loved the potential. I saw the future in my way, but it wasn't ready. I'm not a me too kind of innovator. I'm a new problem focused human. And uh, I, I don't want to be another person doing the same thing a different way. It just doesn't excite me. It's not worth the effort. Hey, what's up? Welcome back to the Less Invasive Podcast, your source for minimally invasive surgery, robotics, and other assistive technologies for the operating room and radiology environment. If you haven't done already, uh, make sure to subscribe and rate the podcast five stars. I'm your host, Lucien Blondel, co-founder and CTO of Quantum Surgical, a startup commercializing the Epion robot for percutaneous tumor ablation. I bring to the table 20 years of experience in uh, robotics and imaging for various specialties, orthopedics, uh, neurosurgery, spine surgery, interventional radiology, and international oncology. Today, I'm uh, very excited to have Dr. Robert Masson uh, on the show. So Dr. Masson is a micro neurosurgeon specializing in minimally invasive spine surgery and sports spine medicine practicing at uh, Orlando and also uh, Park City in Utah. Uh, he's an uh, innovator in the, the minimally invasive spine field with the IMAS 360 lumbar reconstruction platform. He is also the founder and CEO of Expanded Existence, a mixed reality and AI tech uh, startup company that was uh, recently founded and that is focused on surgical performance, logistics and optimization. Moving on to learning more about uh, the company and the startup journey. Uh, Can you share what's the story behind uh, Expanded Existence, when it started and how it all started? Yeah, you know, it, it started in 2017 and uh, that might imply that we've been struggling to limp through this for, uh, what, six years now. But uh, two of the founders uh, come from the creative immersive technology space and it was pretty immature then. And uh, in healthcare, especially, you know, you were talking about block figures appearing in a room for advertising and marketing capability. It was nowhere near uh, adept for functional, interactive, translational execution then. And I wasn't convinced that we understood a problem that we wanted to solve yet. And I was, so, so anyway, I loved the technology. I loved the potential. I saw the future in my way, but it wasn't ready. And I, my iterative process, I'm not a me too kind of innovator. I'm a new problem focused human. And uh, I, I don't want to be another person doing the same thing a different way. It just doesn't excite me. It's not worth the effort. Uh, so I wanted to pull back, reflect, watch, and wait. Um, I'm very, very deeply involved in innovation within Spine. So I'm aware of every tech earlier than virtually everyone. And I wanted to see what rolled out and who did what and where the focus was and where the attention was and, and try to understand a problem that I could singularly focus on. And uh, so we did that. I was simultaneously racing uh, with my firstborn in uh, uh, IMSA, which is equivalent to the Le Mans circuit in Europe and uh, in the prototype class. And I, I did two Rolex 24s, uh, 2019 and 2020 uh, in the uh, LMP2 prototype, the Le Mans prototype, and was on the podium at the Rolex 24 of Daytona and a Le Mans prototype. And, The entire time I was scheming and processing and iterating 
uh, surgical functional performance tool. And uh, the pit crew is my analogy. You know, if you look at an F1 pit stop in the 50s, uh, there's a beautiful YouTube. I love to show people that don't understand the role in the OR. And it shows a 50s pit crew pit stop of uh, four people in a minute and 36 seconds, you know, changing four tires and rubbing the windshield for a minute. And then it shows a, a 1995 uh, F1 pit stop of 2.3 seconds and uh, the effortlessness. Uh, that's how surgery should be. Surgery should be effortless. So, so we basically have been focused on building the world's best pit crews in surgical healthcare. And uh, so we started that iterative process with the first five patents we wrote, I wrote those right before Christmas in 2020. Um, and then we're, we're adding another one now. Uh, we started modeling the organizational chart in 2020 after the patents were written. The patents really were the fabric by which I saw a visual map of what we wanted to iterate. And then we, we started the, the organizational chart and then organized the devs and self-funded up until recently where we did a founder's round, the only founder's round, um, but we're entirely independent to this point. We, we expect Series A or major corporate partnership by early next year um, for our scale. Uh, once we're done iterating our operational model, our business model and our our product success and capability, but that's really been the iteration. You know, there's a lot of housekeeping, a lot of incorporation, a lot of banking, accounting, legal, uh, all of that's happened in the last uh, year and a half. Um, but we're, we're, we're definitely ready for a uh, go to market. We just want to make sure we hit the market sprinting, not limping. And uh, I, I'm a big fan of preparation. So that's our mantra. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I can understand that that uh, basically you had uh, this vision that there was an opportunity quite some time ago, but it took some time for you to really digest this information and understand how this technology could really make a difference for you as a surgeon, but in a very different way uh, than any other uh, solution uh, on the market right now, and 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 then. It started quite uh, a, a bit more than one year ago, and and started with the patent, and then the, the team, and then the product, and getting ready to uh, get more funding to scale the company uh, and to access uh, access the market. So, side question: the name expanded existence. What does it mean? Who's chosen it, and and why? You know, uh, that's it's mostly been two of my partners, uh, and one specifically, Nick, Nicholas Kambada. Uh, He's, he, he thinks very spiritually, very um, uh, astrologically rich, astronomically rich, I should say. And uh, singularity is a common topic. Uh, you know, the expanding universe, uh, the, the vastness, the transcendence, the, the space-time continuum, all of these things are philosophical things that when we're having fun, uh, we chat about and uh, expanded existence I think uh, it's a combination of my persistence that healthcare is rigid and very structured. And if anything, you get small incremental quantum levels of development, not big, big leaps. Nick, okay. uh, Nick is a big picture, you know, leap uh, human. And 
and a brilliant uh, contributor to uh, our vision and our graphics and our designs. And uh, so it was bridging the gap, expanded existence. You know, this is a human-oriented product. We are singularly focused on improving the lives of humans. And uh, we, we have picked the problem to be to enrich surgical performance as a way of vastly improving surgical outcomes and human uh, functionality after the surgical episodes of care. So, so I, I don't think anything is more linearly connected to uh, a crisis and then a response to a brilliant outcome than surgery. So it all came together sort of tangentially and, and that's how we came up with it. Okay, cool. I mean, that's a, that's a very different name than, uh, than, uh, what, what we used to see in the, in the health tech, uh, med tech, uh, med tech space. So that's, uh, that's good to have the, the story behind that, behind this name. So, um, you are now, uh, both a surgeon, uh, you, you've built a private uh, practice at, uh, at two sites with the, the Master Institute and a CEO of a tech company. How, how can you transition from being a surgeon, even if you were maybe tech savvy or uh, towards leaning towards performance, how do you transition from being a physician to being a CEO of a tech company? That's, um, that's quite, quite curious. You know, uh, it's, a, it's an important question, and I'm trying to be sensitive to mostly my patient community because I still have a very nationally, internationally engaged surgical practice and, and, and physical health practice in, in spine surgery. Um, but on the other hand, I'm 34 years in as a neurosurgeon. I've always wore, worn multiple hats. Uh, I've never identified myself by any one role. Um, okay. I, have, I always have a life purpose and uh, uh, a goal. Um, I, think, I think of this as being entirely synchronous to my journey and my life experience. You know what? If you ask industry people, what is Masan? great greatest at it's they'll, they'll say we are lean we are performance oriented we work in nonverbal team flow state we 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 are effortless in how we try to execute surgery and uh so there's a there's a teaching role there's a research role there's a iteration role there's a surgeon role they're all important and and i i very clearly identify my current phase of life with It's time for me to focus more on transcending other surgeons, other teams mm -hmm. on behalf of so many more people with the foundational experience. You know, part of the problem is I'm a little bit selfish and I love being the surgeon. And, mm -hmm. and that's the hard, that's the hardest part is I love that role. And I love the gratification you get on a one-to-one -one, um, is unlike anything I've ever done in my life. And I love those relationships, but The reality is I'm, I'm, I'm only touching several hundred people a year logistically. And, you know, the kind of power that, you know, if I really reflect, if we can genuinely improve the surgery experience, mm -hmm. then we're going to help a lot of people worldwide. We're going to improve democratization of healthcare. We're going to give access to materials and supplies to to facilities that wouldn't necessarily have them both in availability and in scale. Uh, so I, I think there's a bigger picture here. It's the same fundamental uh, process, goal, philosophy, structure, and life journey experience, but it's scalable. Me as a surgeon, as an aging surgeon is not scalable. So uh, 
Yeah, the goal is not for this uh, old gerbil to run faster on the wheel. So, uh, yeah, I, I know my place. I'm I'm ready to transition when it makes sense, and uh, I'm 100% committed to this project. Okay, cool. I mean that that uh, it's 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 a great insight, and uh, I can relate to that because of the, you know, the work that I do sharing information about the emerging technologies for the for the for the surgery in interventional space. Uh, I kind of you know made the same assumption that uh, if I do it myself um, with the people that are close to me, then I can impact fifty people. But if I do it digitally, then I can impact thousands and thousands of people with the same kind of the same amount of effort so that's why yeah. i chose to scale this effort to okay if this is what i want to do is to you know help people uh, better understand the surgeon's needs that that's the first uh, first role and then uh, have creative innovative ideas about uh, new technologies to help the surgeon or the physician then I'd better do it at scale because that's going to be much more much more efficient so i can i can relate to the to the mindset side questions about uh, about the um, the product and the company so we i understand that uh, you will be uh, get, you will be looking for a series a uh, maybe next year and then you you have the product rollout and then you will expand to orthopedics and other fields of surgery uh, is there a place for europe in your uh, in your plan are you, are you and i guess maybe focused on uh, starting in the in the in your country which is us to better fine tune the business model uh, the technology and 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 the company, so that you you consolidate that before entering new markets. You know, it's a really important question, and and uh, we have a lot of different stakeholders, and we have a world class advisory board team, and and you know there are traditional answers to that question, and then there are more modern answers to that question. And and for me, I don't know the answer, but I'm prepared for both. We our leverage and, and the financial leverage is clearly in the United States, obviously, and every healthcare product uh, does best in the United States with a target. Um, on the other hand, this is a software device. This is interaction of tech rather than healthcare in the healthcare space. So I don't see I, I personally feel like if we do a good enough job with the business rules, the onboarding the effortlessness of software download capability, the stability of hardware, uh, the stability of transfer of information for successful rollout and up onboarding. If we can get to remote onboarding, um, mm -hmm. and you know, I, I I see it kind of backwards to conventional wisdom. I uh, we have one stakeholder who's actually in Australia. He's a neurosurgeon there, and uh, he's on our founder investor team, and he's going to be an advisory board member. He's brilliant. It's halfway around the world, and we've already done, you know, interactive Zoom conferencing and and uh, discussions effortlessly. I think mm -hmm. I think things have changed, and I, I see the world shrinking. And you know, uh, I I personally see this as being uh, available for world use, but on we have we have the burden of making it effortless. Our our hardware mm -hmm. partners have to make it uh, compatible with effortless. Our our, our Equipment availability has to be effortless. The software itself is the easy part if we can train uh, people in ways. Um, I think we're building a map through our scrub teams and our scrub nurses and our, our devs where our goal is to automate all of that. Um, there's even a role for AI in that. And uh, we've been dabbling with OpenAI and, and ChatGPT for 
onboarding strategies and and, and solutions, and more importantly, uh, verbal commentaries and and memes and and ways of training techs how to do all this stuff. It's it's awesome all the tools that we have available. Uh, concomitantly, I mean, the world is really mm-hmm. colliding right now, and and that's been brilliant. Um, but but to your question, very simply, my goal is for it to be available worldwide. Uh, but but there are a lot of practical logistical details mm. that need to be in play. And uh, so, bottom line, if there are any partners overseas that want to be stakeholders in that achievement in building the bricks and mortars to get to that solution, we'd be happy to talk to them. No question. Um, I'm not biased one way or the other. Okay. Okay. Cool. That uh, that I understand the the the. The way of thinking to first deal with the, the uh, effortless software and hardware products so that you can uh, basically um, deploy it uh, remotely to uh, even to Europe or Australia or, or Asia. Uh, when the product is easy to use, easy to install and easy to train, that it's much easier to um, to, uh, to access to, uh, to other markets. Otherwise, you need to, uh, uh, local people to help uh, support uh, you know, the product rollout. And, and, and this, this can be quite complex to set up uh, when, you start, uh, when you start a company. All right, right, so you, you mentioned that you are a, a surgeon uh, is, is uh, what, you, what you love to do because of uh, the impact you have on your patients and, uh, and, uh, and the feedback that you get uh, for that. So let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, spine surgery. Can you uh, briefly explain what is the IMAS uh, 360 uh, procedure and how it's different from a, a tr- conventional spinal fusion procedure and instrumentation? So... Spinal reconstructive surgery of the lumbar, I'm going to focus on the lumbosacral spine um, and not go into scoli or thoracolumbosacral or, or, or all the other things. So from a lumbosacral segmental spine perspective, there, there are circumstances where fusion is necessary, reconstruction with stabilization and with fusion. And, and there are a lot of different ways to achieve a fusion. And, and uh, one of my slides on keynotes that I give is around, around the world, with inner body fusion, and whether it's an A-lift, O-lift, X-lift, P-lift, T-lift, you know, I never did the, uh, the, the, the rectal approach, but otherwise I've, I've done every other approach a lot of. I abandoned personally A-lift in the late 90s. Jurgen Harms was one of those mentors. I didn't mention his name earlier, but in the spine space, Jurgen Harms was an early mentor. He was the inventor of the T-lift in the early 90s, Harms Cage. He worked concomitantly with the development teams that ultimately built the products that I helped build um, in both uh, Synthes, Depuy Synthes, and ultimately Biedermann Motec out of Germany. And uh, But bottom line is uh, I focused on the T-lift in 1999. I had developed my own Transoas kind of XLIF approach before Nuvasive was Nuvasive. There, were, there, there are problems with every approach. I, I don't like disintegrated solutions for, from a patient perspective. So, you know, when you go in A-lift, some are standalone, but many need a posterior approach, decompression, mm-hmm. or a stabilization backbone. I, I found that limiting. Um, you know, in a, in a, in a highly mobile spond- spondylolisthesis or instability of a segment, you do an A-lift on that. You know, the BAKK rate, rate cage days, and I was an educator for both, 
those were brilliant standalone in very specific cases that may or may not have needed fusions in retrospect. Uh, but but when you got to spondies and instabilities, that's where they fell short, and and it kind of destroyed the the cage rage of the mid to late nineties. Um, when you when you started chasing it with stabilization systems, pedicle screw systems, well, now you're doing an anterior and a posterior surgery on people. And then you get the uh, billing and financial complications in the U.S. where that means surgeons are doing one surgery one day, the next surgery the next day. Uh, absurd from a patient standpoint to anesthetics. Um, I like synchronized symphony style solutions. And so and, and the other bias that is very strong in my practice is I don't treat back pain. I treat major neurological distress in the face of complex segmental spinal problems. And, and so when they need reconstruction, my focus, my, my, my purpose is still max neurological recovery. And okay. by, by the way, you have to rebuild these people. And the, with the culture of microsurgery and least invasive and least disruptive and destructive. We our working title for uh, IMAS was the evolution of the non-deconstructive reconstruction. And uh, Rodin, my chairman, was brilliant about how to delicately navigate the the corridors of the brain in a way that you, there was minimal effect on the brain itself, and you were using corridors, anatomy, bone removal, you know, complex 3D strategies to not harm the brain at all. Well, I see that for musculoskeletal integration of the spine. I see that for ligamental disruption within the spine, for segmental architecture and support and three-dimensionality and sagittal and coronal balance and how people walk relative to their, you know, their pelvis, their hips, their knees, their feet. You know, you're treating the human ultimately. You're not treating the spine when you do spine mm -hmm. surgery. So, so with all that being said, uh, I, I found, you know, since 2001, I do a, about an 18 millimeter incision, four pedicle screws, T-lift, and an aggressive microsurgical decompression. The products that support that are a lot less infuriating now than they were in 2001. In 2001, we were using structural allograph, you know, bone grafts that had to turn with a mallet and... Uh, you know, I've created keeled devices now with steerable delivery systems and chopstick compressors. I, I remember a famous slide with the Synthes president in 2006 where I showed him their, uh, their, their distractor upside down and backwards because there was no tool that fit in my little tiny wound. So the handles of the distractor, I notched two holes in so I could squeeze the screws mm -hmm. together and compress across the cage. Little you know, every piece the other thing we played with is sequence, you know, so many people still do a major decompression first, expose the fecal sac, expose the nerve roots, and then come in and do the easiest part last. So in order of synchrony, headless pedicle screws give a buoy system for 3D anatomy deep in the wound. So if you see where you are relative to the buoy, you know exactly the three-dimensional anatomy around the buoy. What is the easiest thing in spine surgery? Putting a pedicle screw in by a surgeon who knows what they're doing. What's the second easiest thing? A very geometrical, algebraic, perfect facetectomy for inner body. What, what, what do you accomplish if you change the sequence? You do a screw first, a facetectomy for inner body second, and you do the decompression last. Well, first of all, the screws help you identify landmarks. 
based on nav approach that give you perfect corridors for a T-lift. What does the T-lift grant you if you put that in front of the decompression and not behind it? Well, first of all, you do your indirect decompression first. That's going to minimize the eventual devastation of your primary direct decompression. And it's going to make it safer in extreme cases because you've got the value of restoration, vertical enhancement, and reduction of spondees. So by the time you get to the bone work, you've already decompressed 50% of the structure. So one, it's safer to approach the dura. Two, um, it minimizes the extent of the decompression that you can validate surgically. And uh, so it makes it more efficient, less harmful, less risk of complications. And then the easy part, a rod screw assembly close. Um, it was just a, a, a in through the outdoor kind of approach to spinal reconstruction done 100% microsurgically with image guidance from day one. And uh, that's that's been the last 23 years. Um, and I'm, what, 7,000 IMAS cases in. So, uh, you know, we've, we've, it's pretty easy for us these days. So, I, I, yeah, I mean, that, that's a, a great explanation because uh, I, I was not uh, aware of this technique and, and I, I feel it's still the same uh, quest for uh, the best organization of uh, which steps to, to go first and to go last with which instrument and what makes sense and what does not make sense and optimizing this, not taking something for granted, but say, okay, we can do more, we can do better, we can do differently and so that we really use the less instrumentation we can uh, in the le in the most effective way uh, for the for for the for the patient outcomes that's a, it's good to well, good me, to yeah yeah to you summarize you summarize it brilliantly let me uh, give props to the biederman family uh, biederman motec was uh, uh, depew uh, motec before it was depew synthes and they were the engineering manufacturing partners for depew and j and j in those days and uh, when I uh, left the J&J &J project and, and went to the Biedermans, I, I've talked to you about lean, right? So yep. we had done two, two screw systems over two companies and you know got to a 23 tray pedicle screw system, which was criminal to me. I'm, that's not my DNA. Well, no. the, my entire IMAS system, which is a steerable cage system and the Moss 100 pedicle screw system, and, and uh, they were brilliant. The screw system is one tray. The the T-lift, uh, T-lift K, the uh, steerable uh, inner body cage, which is to me my favorite cage in the world, and I'm biased, but I hated the one I had built previously. So, uh, just to give objectivity, um, it, it's one tray. So my entire spinal reconstruction system, which if people follow my X-rays, they'll see I'm pretty aggressive. I'm pretty versatile. I do a lot of extreme pathology and it's two trays. So imagine running an OR back table with mm -hmm. uh, you know, a tiny Mayo stand and two implant trays for the most complex segmental disease in the world, and you have IMAS. So I think the philosophy and culture is consistent with what we're trying mm -hmm. to do with XX, um, mm -hmm. which you were alluding to. So I thought I would add that. Yeah, cool. I mean, that's a, that, that's a great story. So I want to be mindful of your time. It's already one hour, so I will have a, one last question. Uh, if you weren't a surgeon, and if you weren't a tech CEO, and money was not a concern, what would you do today? Uh, I would be an explorer. Uh, I, I grew up scuba diving. I was Navy. I, I, I always wanted to be an astronaut. I, I love exploring. And uh, 
honestly, a, as a more mature version of me, I think exploring the earth is more interesting than exploring space. I'm mm. not ready to give up on this planet just yet. Mm. Uh, I love to dive. I love all things ocean. Um, I really would love to uh, be an undersea explorer and uh, study the richness of the ocean and the effect of the environment on the ocean and, and human culture and find ways to continue to uh, improve our home. Great. I mean, uh, um, uh, actually, you know, I, I took uh, two gap years, the first one to travel around the world and the second one to travel around Asia. And, and during this, uh, the, those travels, I, I learned to do uh, diving, you know, with the, the bottles and stuff like that. And, yeah. and then I discovered, you know, that there is pretty much a whole world uh, that is beneath the sea, the, the sea level, that we do not know, know much. And, and, and that, yeah, it's the vastness of the potential of exploration there and and we stay on the ground and and that that's where what we are we are meant to be at the beginning but uh, i do understand that there is uh the infinite infinite possibilities of exploration in in the in the ocean so i uh, i love the i love that uh, that mindset Thank you, Dr. Masson, for being on the show, talking about uh, uh, your vision, your unique vision uh, about a mixed reality for operating room uh, organization. Uh, we talked also about uh, minimally invasive spine surgery and uh, and what it is to uh, to start a new tech uh, company in the in the healthcare space. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Lucien, and, and and thank you for uh, being the communicator in all things. Uh, mixed reality, artificial intelligence, it's necessary. You know, the, the majority of the people in the world that will impact uh, need a forum where messaging is much more clear and simplistic and, and, and ad ad adaptable. So thanks for what you do. Thank you. Hang on a minute, uh, we'll chat offline. Uh, thank you all for listening to the Less Invasive Podcast, your source for minimally invasive surgery uh, in spine, but other specialties, robotics, uh, and other assistive technologies like the mixed reality uh, that we talked uh, during this uh, episode. Uh, I hope uh, you enjoyed this uh, podcast. If you do so, please uh, take uh, two minutes to uh, subscribe to the podcast, go to your favorite application, and rate the podcast five stars. Thanks. Thank you.